Well, church, this morning we're starting a brand new message series. It's called Gathering Wood, and it's all about revival. It's all about the fact that God, revival is God's work, okay? It's not something we create or manufacture. Uh, revival is when God meets us. He draws us very close to his heart, whether it's as a church, a city, a community. God does this many times throughout history, and in this series, we're going to talk about the fact that it is our job to prepare our hearts to be ready for the move of God. Whenever that comes, however that comes in our lives, in our church, that we're to be gathering wood, if you will. That if God is going to set us on fire, that we would be gathering wood for God to light up in the way that we live our lives. We're going to talk about a number of different things in this series, uh, but today we're going to start with really the foundational thing, and that is confession and repentance. This is a key, this is the place that it all begins. Revival never happens without repentance. It's a changed position of the heart, and we're going to talk about that more deeply today. We're going to look at a story from the book of Acts. Uh, Now, Acts gives us the history of the church, starting when Jesus ascends into heaven and going throughout the end of the Old Testament era there. Uh, So it it tells us uh, this exciting story of how the Holy Spirit was moving among the followers of Jesus, how God was using them to draw thousands and thousands of people to himself. God was moving in power. And, you know, it's a really interesting thing when you look at the start of the early church, because without the power of God, there's no way that Christianity gets out of that first generation, okay? Christians were heavily persecuted, both by Jews and by Romans. If, if you lived there in those early years after Jesus, there was no great earthly reason to become a Christian, Becoming a Christian sometimes meant that you'd give your life even. I mean, this was serious stuff. You were persecuted from Romans. You were persecuted from Jews. Uh, Nobody was getting book deals. Nobody was becoming social media influencers. Nobody's getting rich and famous off of this, right? There's, There's no good earthly reason to do this. People didn't become Christians for earthly reasons. They became Christians because, well, two incredible things happened. First, Jesus had had come and he had died and he rose from the dead. And if somebody gets crucified and rises from the dead, they're not a normal somebody, okay? They're not just a person, okay? This is the Son of God. It means that what he said about himself, it's true. That he is truly the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. He proved it when he rose from the dead. That's number one. Then number two, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descends upon the church in power. He fills these believers who had been quite timid, who had oftentimes choked when it was their opportunity to shine for Jesus, and instead, now they're full of this power, and they're boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And one of the ways that the Holy Spirit is working is through miracles, And God gives the church miracles, signs, and wonders both then and today to show us that he's real, that he's powerful, that he's alive and moving. And so when the people encountered these miracles, signs, and wonders, it was proof positive that God is real, that God is alive, and that Jesus is the Messiah. So next chapter, Acts chapter 3, 
we have this incredible story of Peter and John, and they're going to the temple to pray one afternoon. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. It was a typical uh, afternoon sacrifice there in the Jewish temple. And you see the Christians, the early Christians, were still worshiping at the temple because the church is just barely getting off the ground. So they worship there, and they also meet and pray and worship in their homes. That's what the early church was doing right now. Peter and John are on their way in, and there at the door, they see a very familiar sight. They see this guy who they would have seen probably many times in their life. He couldn't walk. He was lame. And, and that's, really, that's, that's really difficult today. But imagine how much more difficult then. In a world where people had to do manual labor for most jobs, not being able to walk would have meant that you were probably going to live in poverty throughout your life. So he would be placed there at the door of the temple where he would, he would hope and pray that God's faithful people would be generous so that his daily needs could be met. Well, Peter and John are on their way into the temple that day, and they see him, and, and they look at him, and they say something interesting. Acts chapter 3, verse 6 says it this way. Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And that's exactly what he did. Now imagine that. Imagine if there was somebody you had seen here. Uh, you've been going to this to the church for decades with this person. They've never been able to walk. And you come in and they're up walking around that day, right? That's going to get your attention, don't you think? The Bible says that he was walking, leaping, and praising God. Walking, leaping. I'm pretty sure the modern translation is skipping, right? Like he's skipping around the church that day, right? And you're like, what the heck? I've seen this. He never, he doesn't even stand. He can't skip. Somebody's got to explain this thing to me. The scripture continues. It tells us that they all rushed out to Solomon's colonnade. It's like a porch there at the temple where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John, right? He's so happy he's giving them a bear hug, right? He's just like, I can't tell you how much you've changed my life. I just don't want to let you go. And Peter's like, you're going to have to let go because i got to preach a sermon here, right? Because Peter sees a crowd building. And like any good preacher, he knows this is his chance, right? Because people want to know what happened. How is it possible that that guy who can't walk is now walking? What, what happened to make this thing possible? Verse 12, Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, what is so surprising about this? <laughs> Are you kidding, Peter? <laughs> the man's walking. That's surprising. Don't you understand this? But Peter's not surprised. Why? Why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? No. For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, who's brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one. Instead, demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this fact. Wow. Now, when you preach a sermon, you've got to know your audience, right? And that day, Peter's there at the temple, 3 o'clock the afternoon sacrifice, this is like 
the people who show up for this are the people who are there every time the church doors are open, right? It's three in the afternoon. A lot of people are at work. They can't be there. So you've got a lot. You've probably got some older folks who are very faithful. You've got priests. You've got the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious elite, the people, some of whom it was like their job to do this stuff, right? This is the crowd who's gathered here that afternoon. And Peter, he steps up to explain what has happened here, and he's got an audience that is predominantly Jewish, also some Christians, and, and he begins this sermon. Now, it's a really interesting way to explain the miracle, because Peter could have gotten away just with a little cheerleading, right? Like, hey, we're all here. We love God. Isn't God great? The guy's walking. Have a great day, right? He could have done that. Would have been a nice, popular message. But it's not what he did. Instead, Peter calls them out. He calls them out right there in the temple on their home court. And you've got to know that the people who he's talking to are some, like in the way they live their life, their, their lifestyle, these are some of like the most disciplined religious people you're ever going to meet. They take holiness to a whole nother level, okay? They were serious. They had the law of Moses. These folks likely followed the law of Moses very closely. That's why they're there at this time. They were very passionate about their faith and these kind of things. And Peter looks at him and he says, yep, here's why he's walking. The guy's name is Jesus. That's why. It's not me. It's not good luck. It's not just God. It's, it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Moses. But, but it's also this God is Jesus, okay? You killed him. Let's just state the obvious. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. If you were confused about who Jesus is, this guy is showing you who he is, okay? This guy is evident that Jesus is the author of life, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's what you're seeing right before you this day. That's kind of bad news if you're the one who crucified him, right? That's a challenging word, if you will. Peter continues. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling what the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Now repent of your sins. Turn to God so that your sins might be wiped away. Then times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. He will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. For he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised so long ago through the holy prophets. So Peter's making the connection. This is the whole story, okay? This is what was predicted, what was prophesied in the Old Testament. He came, Jesus, he, he lived, he died, gave his life for you. He's risen from the dead. He's coming back, okay? The same God, same story all the way through. This is the story of salvation. And, and you've got a problem because you killed him. But good news, God's forgiving. God's a gracious God. And so your job now is to repent. The word that Peter used there for repent, it's actually, uh, in the original language, it's a military term. Our terminology for it would be about face, right? 
You know, like you're marching this direction, right? Drill sergeant calls out the command about face. So you're going to turn and you're going to go this way, right? You don't stop and look around. You don't consider your options. You don't take five more steps because you're thinking about it. No, you turn. You repent. That's what repentance means. When I hear the news of my sin, when I feel that conviction in my heart, when the Spirit leads and guides me in that way, that I turn, I repent, I go the other way. That's what he's challenging them to do. Repentance, my friends, it begins with a changed heart that leads to a changed mind that leads to changed behavior. This is what repentance is all about. Say it with me. Repentance begins with a changed heart that leads to a changed mind, that leads to changed behavior. This is what repentance is all about. Now let's, let's unpack that. Because followers of Jesus, we should have a different heart and mind than the rest of the world has. Okay, We should be transformed. See, the, the world wants to say, hey, when you're living your life, just be the best version of you that you can be, and that'll be all right. Just be the best you that you can possibly be, and that's going to be all right. But the Bible is really clear. That doesn't cut it. Because you see, we, we have this tension inside of us that when we were created, we were created in the image of God, the likeness of God, right? That's good, that's righteous, that's holy, but... Adam and Eve, you remember, they, they chose to sin, right? They, they chose sin, and so that means that they, as representatives for us, chose sin. And so now when we're born, we've got this tension in, inside of us between the holiness of God that we were created and, and the sin in which we were born, okay? That's kind of what's going on inside of us. You notice that the song, it doesn't say, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a good, nice, and generally funny guy like me. No, it doesn't. Not at all. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a... Ouch. I don't like that. I don't like people calling me a wretch, right? Like that. It's an old word, but it doesn't sound like a very nice word, right? I don't want to think of myself... I want to think of myself as a pretty good guy, maybe a little better than average guy, right? But... The fact is, we're all born in this position. Call it original sin, right? We've, we're born with this. And so just being the best me that I can be, it's not going to cut it. Because the standard is not like just a little better than what I used to be or a little better than my neighbor. No, the standard is God's holiness. And I don't hit that. I don't hit that standard. I fall short of that time and time and time again. And so the problem is deeper than just my behavior. It's not just trying a little harder, getting a little better. The problem, it starts right here in my heart. That, that in my heart that I've got this sin, it's got to be dealt with. You might say, well, that seems incredibly unfair because Adam and Eve messed up. Like, so I've got that, right? Well, Remember, Adam and Eve, they're not the only representation of us, though. They're the first one, that Adam represented us in sin, but in the same way, Jesus represents us in salvation. You see, because we had our, that first Adam, we get that original sin, 
through Jesus, this can be addressed. We can be forgiven. Because he took Adam's sin and my sin and everybody's sin on his shoulders when he went to the cross. Okay? So, if you want your behavior to change, friend, it starts with your heart. It starts with your heart. You got to take yourself off the throne of your heart. As long as you're trying to live for you, as long as you're just trying to be the best version of you, you're still saying, John's in charge here. It's not going to cut it. It starts when I repent and I say, Jesus, I need you. I believe what you said, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. That I believe that nobody can come to the Father but by you. I believe that you're the one who took my sins and paid the price that I could never pay. I believe that the gift of God is eternal life through you, Jesus Christ. Not just through me trying a little harder. My heart is yours. I can't do this on my own. It's a, a decision of love, really. It's a response to the love of God, and it's a decision to love Jesus more than I love myself, more than I love the world, more than I love anything else. It's a decision to put him first. Many of you, you've, you've fallen in love at some point in your life, and it's a great thing. It changed the way that, that you feel. It changed the way you think. It changed the way you act, right? Now, if a person can do that for you, how much more can a relationship with Jesus Christ change you? Because you see, when you fall in love with Jesus, when you give your heart to him, the next logical step is that your mind begins to change. That instead of wanting just John's desires, now I want Jesus' desires because he's number one. He's leader. He's the Lord. So Jesus, what do you want me to do? What, how do you want me to think? When, when I look at sin, instead of taking my look at it or the world's look at it, I want to look at it the way you look at it, Jesus. That's how I want to view sin. So I'm going to quit saying, eh, everybody sins. It doesn't really matter. I'm a little better than most people, honestly, so whatever. No, I'm not going to take that attitude anymore. Instead, I'm going to look at my sin and I'm going to say, I hate that stuff. I don't want that. I reject that because that's not, that's not how Jesus wants me to live. He died like we sang earlier, so I don't have to be a slave to sin anymore because I'm a child of God. I can be adopted into this family, and so now that I am, when I give my life to Jesus, I want to look at sin differently. I, I want to hate my own sin, not myself, but my sin. I want to I I get rid of that stuff. I don't want to make choices for that. I want to be different. I want to think differently about it. It changes the way that I look at so many things. It changes the way that I look at other people. Instead of looking at them through like eyes of judgment and condemnation, no, I look at them through eyes of love. For God is love. And he says that if, if I look at my sister and brother who I can see and I don't love them, how can I possibly say that I love God who I can't even see? So it changes the way that I love others. 
It changes the way that I spend money, right? Because, because God's called me to be generous, right? And, and God cares about the widow, the orphan, the poor, right? So I best not just be living for me. I, I best ought to be generous because God wants to use me to bless the lives of others. It changes the way that I treat my physical body. It changes the way that, that I view all sorts of things because my mind is changing since my heart has been changed by Jesus. So I think differently now. And finally, that's what leads to a change in my behavior. I didn't start by changing my behavior. No, I started by giving my life to Jesus. I started with a heart change. It led to a head change. And then ultimately led to a behavioral change. And it's transformative. It's transformative. And when I look at sin, I look at it differently. Because instead of just tolerating it and saying, ah, you know, it's fine, I'll just, I'll just try to be a little better sometimes, but I won't usually, I won't often get it. I say, no, Jesus, I, I don't want to cheapen the work that you did on the cross by just continually giving in to sin. I want to live for you. I want to be full of your grace, and so thus, I want to live in holiness. I want to be growing, growing more and more like you. I want to be more holy as you are holy, not for legalistic reasons, but because I love you, Jesus, because I love you so much that I don't want to live in that stuff anymore. I don't want to live in a way that's contrary to the way that you want me to live. I love you, so I want to be more and more and more like you. It's so amazing to me that Peter calls for repentance, these people who lived incredibly holy lives, right? They, in many ways, they had it together. And you know, there were many ways they lived very moral lives. And we can often confuse following Jesus and morality, Morality is a good thing, right? It means doing the right thing. I'm for it. It's, it's a good thing. But the fact is, my friend, you can be a fairly moral person and not be a follower of Jesus. You can be pretty decent if you work at it, if you try really hard. You can read the right books. You can, you can go to a counselor. You can keep working on yourself. You can probably throughout your life get a little better, a little better, a little better in, in grow in morality. And, and that's not horrible, but it's not what Jesus calls us to. Jesus calls us to something more than mere morality itself. Jesus calls us to real repentance, to saying, I reject sin because I love Jesus so much, because he is the Lord of my life. So it's not just about some behavioral symptomatic tweaks over here. I want to deal with that sin cancer that's in the heart. And I can only deal with that by giving my life to Jesus. So once I've dealt with that sin cancer of the heart, then the stuff, the symptoms, they start to change. So it's not just morality, it's a love for Jesus. It's a changed heart. It's a changed mind. Because, friend, I want something so much better for you than just mere morality alone. I believe in eternal life. I believe in a God of this life and of the life to come. And mere morality doesn't save 
mere morality doesn't save. I need Jesus to deal with that cancer of sin in my heart. I need Jesus' forgiveness to deal with that stuff. I need Jesus' hope. And so if I'm going to be different, if I'm going to be the person that Jesus calls me to be, it's not just going to be by trying harder. I'm done with that. I've got to put my heart in your hands, Jesus. I've got to trust my life to you. I want to follow you. And so when I do that, I look at sin differently. It's not just less than ideal. No, it, it repulses me. I don't want it. I want to be different because I want to live for you, Jesus. I want to give my life to you. I want to be transformed by your love and your grace. Friend, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray in a minute. And you might be here today or watching with us online and you might realize that I've never made that change of heart. I've been trying really hard. I want to be a good person. But I've never given my heart to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you came here for mom. Man, I'm glad you did. (laughs) You're a good kid. But being a good kid isn't enough friend. I want you to know Jesus because he will change your heart. He'll change your mind and he'll change your life. And you know, maybe you're here and you say, well, I I did that a while back, but if I'm honest, instead of having Jesus as Lord, I've kind of reduced him and I've got him as one of a bunch of good priorities in my life. It's not what it's about, friends. It's about Jesus being number one. So I want to put him back on the throne of my heart. I want to put him where he belongs because there's just no better place. So would you join me in prayer? Jesus, I need you. I confess with my mouth. I say it in my heart that you are Lord, that you are my Savior. I need you to forgive me of my sins, Jesus. I need you to come into my life in a powerful way. I'm done with just trying to be a little better every year, Lord. I want you. I pray that you would fill me up, that you'd fill me up with your power, that you would forgive me of, your, of my sins, that you'd forgive me of my sins, that you would fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit that I can walk differently, that I can live differently, not just because I'm trying harder, but because I'm filled with your power. Fill us up, Lord. Fill us up. Change us by your love and by your grace. For God, we need you so much. We need you every hour. And Lord, I pray for the one who's here today who's made this decision a while back but has fallen, fallen off the bandwagon that we've reduced you to just being a, a nice advice giver or guide in our lives. Jesus, we want you to be the Lord, the leader. And there can only be one of those. So Jesus, would you, would you have our hearts once again? Would you be right there? Meet us in our place of needs. Help us to know you. Lord, and to be known by you. I pray for the one who believes that they've messed up too much and doesn't think it's possible. Lord, help them to see it's only by grace that we're saved. 
It's through faith in you. And that, <laughs> that is not because of my gift. good works, God. It is your gift. Thank you, God, for your generous gift. Lord, I pray that as we worship you here today, that you would draw us closer and closer to yourself. For Lord, we love you. And we pray this all in Jesus' holy name.